cover verse 14, chapter 14 and chapter 15. They're short books. They're not long. But we're going to cover Genesis tonight, chapter 14 and chapter 15. So we want you to be in tune. As you know, we want you to learn. And so we're going to just take our time and just discuss through the Word of God. Make notes. Um, when we close out tonight, we'll give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you may have, anything that you didn't understand. We want you to uh, ask uh, for clarity if you didn't have clarity during the teaching. So we want you to be blessed and we want you to understand and we want you to learn and we want you to become a doer of the Word of God. And so we want Brother Henry to come. He's going to come and teach our lesson tonight. Come on, Brother Henry. Amen. What do I like to tell you? Listen, I know I scare people when I tell them this, but for all of you in this church, God has a purpose for you. And God's going to do something in your life. And I tell you all the time, all I want to do is see to it that I help you accomplish what God wants to do in your life. And so whatever God is pointing me to do to help you in your walk, that's what I'm going to try to do. So it's up to you. If you want to see God's will be done in your life, you do whatever God is putting in your heart. And when I come and conversate with you and tell you, hey, I see this, I see that, take it in stride and know it's the Lord that's trying to help you. And so I know Brother Henry get a little nervous sometimes and Brother Scarlett get a little nervous sometimes when I tell them that they're going to be uh, doing some stuff for the Lord. They get a little nervous, but I said, you know, just get over it. You know, at least I'm telling you up front. <laughs> you know, old time, old time preachers don't tell you anything. They just let you keep going, keep going. And one day they tell you something bigger. You're like, oh, at least I'm telling you what's going on. And so for all of you that we're working with and trying to get you prepared for what God has in store for you, we want to do everything that we can. So listen to Brother Henry, support him, because here's the story. Here's, here's the secret. When your turn comes, you want to be supported. <laughs> your turn comes, you want to be supported. You know, so when someone stands up here, don't compare them with anyone. Just hear them out for who they are and how God is using them. And when your turn comes, you won't be judged either. People will listen to you for who you are, how God is using you. So listen to the man of God tonight. When, when, you, when he stands in the pulpit, it doesn't matter what you think of him. It doesn't matter what man say. But when God is using a vessel, God is using the vessel. And, and so God is going to use this vessel tonight. And so I just want you to listen up how God will speak through him to give you a word and give you instruction and direction. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord, everyone. It is good to be here. God has blessed us. He has given us a lot, and um, he gave us health and strength. So we are here tonight to continue having Bible study. Thank you, Pastor. I <laughs> we are blessed to have a praying pastor and a pastor that is a leader. So we'll have good followers. Amen. Without any further ado, let's go right into Genesis 14. And we'll be looking at Genesis 14 as well as Genesis 15. So, um, Genesis 14. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, 
Ariok, king of Elisar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemer, king of Zeboim, and the king Bela, which is Zoar, the king of Bela, which is Zoar. And these were joined together in the valley of Sidim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer and the king that were with him, and smote the Raphims in Ashtoreth, Karim, and the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emim in Shevet, Karnathian, and the Horites in Mount Seir, unto Ephraim, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmespath, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwell in Hazanamar. And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined in battle with them in the vale of Sidim, with Chedorlaomer the king of Elam, and with Tidal king of nations, and Amraphel king of Shinar, and Ariel king of Elisar, four kings with five. I'm getting somewhere. <laughs> and the vale of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountains. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. So all of this, this is um, 11 verses. And what basically is happening, there is a coalition of kings in Mesopotamia. Um, the most dominant one there, he's assumed to be the leader. Chedorlaomer, and he formed a coalition there. And what they, they have done is they have gone out and they have, um, well, captured or conquered other nations, other kingdoms. And from doing that, those kingdoms have to pay them um, taxes every so often, whether every year, every month, but they are obligated to pay them. And that's what's happening. So they were living good. They were comfortable. These kings had to be paying them. So the kings that um, they had in their control, those were five kings. They formed a coalition as well. Those five kings were living somewhere in the Jordan Valley. Um, Sodom, Gomorrah, um, and three other kings joined together. So, they had this thing going on for 12 years. It was good. They got money. They just sit back. You know, they had to pay them. Don't know how much, but apparently, if they dominate them like that, drove fear into them, then they're going to pay them what they want. So, that was going on for a while. Then these five kings decided that they don't want this to happen anymore. They don't have money like that to be given out, to be just handing out to, to, to these men. 
So they're not paying them again. So in the 13th year, they decided that they're not paying them anymore. I guess Cheddar Lamar and his group just waited a little till the 14th year and really saw that he wasn't going to get any money. Then they just got up all the coalition with their army and just rode down that way. They were so upset that all the kingdoms along the way, they looted. They killed, they took whatever they needed, and they kept riding. And every town they came into, they did the same thing. They didn't reach these five kings yet. And some of those places that they looted, these were men that were, some of them were giants. They were, they were um, strong nations. But these people were so fierce and aggressive and warlike that they conquered all of them and they kept going. So, they eventually reach a point now, the valley of Sidim. Um, that's the <clears throat> valley of salt. Or what really happened in that valley is um, apparently there is some oil deposits um, under the ground. So, you have asphalt pits that are everywhere. So, I don't know why the five kings choose to be there, to fight right there, but that's where they draw the line and say, this is it. We're going to fight. We're going to get them out of here. We're not going to pay them anymore. And sure enough, they came after them. Well, they came after them. They got a little cold feet and they turned around and started running. Some fell in the pit. Of course, they're going to die. This is asphalt. This is, this is tar. They... they they're not going to survive that. The ones who stood up, they wiped them out. But others made it to the mountains and they escaped. So those four kings, they kept on looting. So they realized now that Sodom and Gomorrah and those places, they didn't have any defense. So they turned around and they went there and they took whatever they wanted. So they had a pretty successful um, trip. You know, they took whatever they wanted, they did whatever they wanted, and everything was going good for them so far. But here the problem, when they went to Sodom, the Bible says in Genesis 14, chapter 12, it says, And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. If they never did that, Everything would be good. Because these are heathen nations fighting against each other. They would just fight and who win, win. And who is supposed to stay in charge, they would stay in charge. But no, they messed with a man of God. So, <clears throat> chapter 13 says, And there came one that escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Estral, and brother of Anar. And these were confederates with Abraham. Abraham, not Abraham. And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, both in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So, <coughs> sorry. 
Abraham, he was living at the time in Cana. He was following God's direction. God had called him. And Lot was with him. But at some point, God, God blessed them. And their herd, their, all the animals that they had, multiplied. And it caused a friction between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. They started fighting because they, they didn't have enough room to water, um, feed the animal, water the animals. So they started fighting. So Abraham, Abraham could have done a lot of things. Abraham was in charge. He was the one that got the direction from God. He could have looked at Lot and said, look, this is not how it's going to happen. You're going to park and you're going to go somewhere else. I'll continue. But he didn't do that. He, he loved his, his nephew, but he gave him a choice. He said, look, there's no point in our herdsmen fighting against each other. Look around. Wherever you see and you want to go, go that direction, and I'll go the other direction. Lot had a choice. He knew that there was a calling on Abraham's life. But what he did, he looked towards the Jordan plains. And he saw that it was green. It looked good. And he thought about the animals that he had. They would be well fed. They would be well watered. That looked like money. A lot more money to him. A lot more riches. So he thought along that lines. And then he left. And that's where he decided to live. But if it looks so green to you, somebody else had the same idea. When he went over that side, he realized that he was close to Sodom and Gomorrah. So, um, let me just uh, go back a little here. I'm just going back into um, Genesis 13, 12 to 13, just, just to bring out this point. And Abraham lived in the land of Cana, while Lot lived among the city of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinners, sinning greatly against the Lord. So, um, Lot had chosen the green plains of the Jordan Valley. And that's where he decided to stay for reasons that that would be more profitable to him. In the first five, in the first eleven um, verses, Abraham was mentioned. I'm sure if there was war in the area, Abraham, he knew what was going on, but he didn't get involved. He, he stayed away from it. He never worried about it because he was focused on serving God and. Fulfilling the promise. However, when Abraham heard that Lot had been taken, he didn't hesitate. Abraham could have said, you know what? He should have been here with me. But he chose to go there because he wanted it that way. He could have said, you know, he better find some way to get out of this. He, he, he could have done a lot of things. You know, because sometimes even our, our relatives, 
we have a problem and that's it. They, they offer no assistance. You know, they just want to write you off like that. So Abraham could have done that, but he didn't. The minute he heard that Lot was taken, he gathered up his men and, this, and um, prepared to do battle with Chedel Omar. <coughs> he knew what they had done, the fighting, the, the, the nations that they had conquered, but that did not faze him. We see a similar situation in the Bible. David. David was a little boy when he went up against Goliath. Goliath was a, a grown man. He was a giant. He was strong. He had an armor. He had a, a sword. And he was a fighter from a long time. David was a little boy. Inexperienced. But the thing that David had, he had God on his side. Here, Abraham had God on his side. So it wasn't fearful to go up against um, Chedorlaomer and his coalition. Abraham loved his family and was willing to fight for them. We should do the same. And <clears throat> not just our family at home, our church family. And when I say fight for them, I mean you don't want to be outside here and hear somebody, um, you know, denouncing, talking bad about someone, and you join in the conversation and say, "Yeah, I know that." You know, you know, we should be ready to defend them. We should be ready to to speak good about them. That's what this is is telling us here. All right, let me continue with the reading. And he divided himself against them and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. So he, um, he pursued them all the way up to Dan. That's a far journey that's up north from where they were. But he was determined. He wasn't going to make anything stop him and he must have he, he used some strategy as well he split his army in two and he um, attacked them by night so he caused some confusion and you know the bottom line is they were, they, he got rid of them he must have killed some some ran away but he took back everything that they, they looted and it says in chapter 16, And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the woman also, and the people. So when he came back now, everybody was happy. And the king of Sodom, this is the same one of the coalition of five, came out to meet him. He apparently was one of them that ran away in the hills. So he escaped. So now he came back. He saw his city all torn up. He knew that Abraham had gone up. But I really think he didn't believe that Abraham would survive. Because if that king can do all of them like that, he wasn't thinking much. But when he saw Abraham come back, the king of Sodom went out to meet him. And... <clears throat> 
Abram went to battle with the intention of freeing his nephew Lot. But he came back with everything and, and um, everyone that was taken. And, you know, they got the victory. It did not matter how mighty an army of men. It doesn't matter how mighty an army of men are. They are no match for a God-fearing man. So, that's what gave him the courage. He went up there and he took care of them. Chapter 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed by the Most High God, which had delivered thine enemy into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God and possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abraham rich, save only that which the young men have eaten, and a portion the men which went with me in our Eshal and Mamre, let them take their portion. So, the king of Sodom somehow escaped with some of his men into the hills and eventually came back down. Um, he must have felt a little awkward because it's his position to defend his men. And they went out there for that purpose as well. So, when he offered, when he made that offer to Abraham, and Abraham refused it, again, he must have felt a little more awkward. Um, Abraham could have gotten a little puffed up. You know, he, he just did this wonderful work. But he didn't. He, he still maintained his focus on God. That's the reason why he didn't take anything from this heathen king either. He didn't want anything from him because God is, was his protector and he allowed him to go and return safely. Then came Melchizedek with bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. He blessed Abraham and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So, here... Here it is now, Melchizedek, um, he was the king, king of Salem. Bera was the king of Sodom. Melchizedek was the king of righteousness, while Bera, he was evil. The Bible describes Sodom and, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah as a wicked city, two wicked cities. Melchizedek was righteous, Bera was sinful. Salem represents peace. Sodom represents sinful, all, 
start her sins. Abraham accepted Melchizedek's food and blessing and he rejected Bera's offer. Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. Bera worshipped idols. Him and his people worshipped idols. So both of them came out to meet him. But Abraham um, rejected Bera, king of Sodom, but he accepted uh, whatever Melchizedek offered him. Abraham was was giving God thanks for the victory over the heathen kings, and therefore he paid tithe to Melchizedek, who was God's priest. Melchizedek, the, the king, was not entitled to anything but as a priest of the Most High God, he was entitled to the, the tithes. So the tithes was paid to him. The arrival of Melchizedek, just after the defeat of Shadalomar, was a sign to Abraham that God was his savior and his protector. And the same is true for the followers of Jesus Christ today. Whatever trials, whatever battle, whatever situation we find ourselves in, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same thing he did for Abraham, the same thing he did for David, or anyone else that you see in the Bible. It's the same thing he'll do for us today. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 15. So we're moving on. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So hear what was happening now. Abram just embarrassed um, Chedalomar and took back everything. He followed him. While he, was, he, didn't, he wasn't aware that Abram was following him, and as soon as he got the opportunity, he overpowered Shadalomar and his coalition and all his men and took back every single thing. Um, he knew that Shadalomar, he came from far. And if he did that, he had to have done it at least one time before because he had to have come there before to set this up where they have to pay him. So Abraham had a little fear that he would come again. Because this is after he went back home and probably the following day he started thinking, what if they return with whatever men they had left and come back after him? The thought again, even the king of Sodom, the king offered him, um, made an offer to him, and he didn't take what the king offered him. And he told the king he didn't want anything from him because he didn't want him to feel that he is the one that made him rich. So the king probably felt another um, embarrassed also. He might, you know, not like Abraham. And Abraham was thinking that, you know, fear started coming into him. And 
those are the thoughts that caused fear. God knew his thoughts and comforted him. And this is what happens from time to time. A few hours ago, Abraham had an experience that was like a mountaintop experience. He was on top of the world. He was, he was the victor. He came into the camp as the victor. And now he's feeling like he's in the valley alone. That's going to happen. A lot of times when we have um, great victory, we feel that way after. Here is another situation. Elijah the prophet had the same experience as, as Abraham. One minute he challenged all the prophets of, of Baal. And he fire came down and destroyed. Um, fire came down. God accepted his offering. He, he was literally on Mount Carmel, but he had a mountaintop experience. Just after that, Jezebel heard what he did and threatened to kill him. And that powerful prophet ran away and was fearful for his life. So he too was in this kind of situation. He had a mountaintop experience. Next thing you know, he was feeling like he had Nobody, no friend. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in, into it and is safe. Another psalm, 115 verse 11. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The final one says, Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. That's the comforting word that God gave to Abraham at the time. He had this experience and all of a sudden he was in the valley feeling alone. Feeling that um, nobody could protect him from what was going to happen. So God had to comfort him. We sometimes have the same experience. Just know that God is always there. Same yesterday, today, and forever. The reading continues. Chapter 2. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thy heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be thy heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars. If thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Abraham believed God, but somehow he wanted some clarity. He had questions that only God could answer. 
Then Abram asked God what he will give him because he does not have any children. And Eleazar was his, was his servant. So he wanted to know if the blessing that God is going to bless him, is it going to be through his servant or he's going to give him a, an offspring of his own. But God answered him and told him that he will have children and his descendants will inherit the land and uh, will be numerous. That's when he showed him the stars and asked him, if you can number the stars, then you can number the amount of um, your descendants, your, your people. The Bible says again, and he believed God. And he counted it, counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur, of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. Abraham believed everything God said to him. And he had no doubt that in his mind that whatever God told him was true and will happen. Numbers 23:19 tells us that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Had he said, and shall it not be not do it, or had he spoken and shall he not make it um, good? And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He had questions. He asked God. A lot of questions, but it's out of concern. It's not that he didn't believe. He was living in the land, but none of it belonged to him. He was saying, I believe you, Lord, but show me something. And he said unto him, Take me an ephah of three year old, and a she-goat, and three year of three year old and a ram of three year old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon and he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and lay each piece one against another but the birds divided he not and when the fowls came down upon the carcass Abram drove them away so this is what it's me now Abram was familiar with this because in those days um, this is how they did the covenant. If you're entering into a covenant with someone, um, you would get an animal. Cut the animal in two, and you would pass between the animal. That signifies that if you break this covenant, the same way how this animal is dead and is cut in two you might end up that same way so <laughs> you want to keep this covenant <laughs> so this was a covenant ceremony and God was about to enter into a covenant with him and when the sun was Going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed 
shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. So, God was letting Abraham know what will happen to his descendants. And <clears throat> what really happened is um, Jacob actually went into Egypt to, to uh, avoid an, um, a famine. And he stayed there. God blessed his people. They multiplied. They stayed there a long time, kept on multiplying until the, the, king, the Pharaoh changed. He didn't know them, so he put them to, um, instead of them being free, he enslaved them. And they stayed there for 400 years. So what God was telling Abraham was exactly what was going to um, happen later on. He told them that they will be oppressed for 400 years. That was the bad news. The good news is he will judge the nation that enslaved them and he will free them from oppression and they will leave with possessions. If we take a look at Exodus 12, 35 to 36, it says, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptian jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. This is when they are about to leave. They, they, they were about to leave Egypt. So, if you are about to leave, why would you borrow? Why would I lend you anything? But they did. And the Bible said the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptian. So that they lent unto them such things as they require. And they spoil the Egyptian. So, here again is another... Um, uh, this coming to pass that God told Abraham. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So they left. And thou shalt go to thy father in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So, God made a promise to Abraham that he will be buried at a good old age. So, he will live long. God told Abraham that his descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their land. They will be slaves. But, he will judge the people that had them as slaves. And, he will eventually free them. God told Abraham that in the fourth generation they will return here to Cana, where he is. He will judge the Amorites for the sin they have committed. The Amorites, some of the Amorites were living right there at the time with Abraham. But at that time they didn't corrupt themselves to that point where God was going to um, eventually judge them. So, um, God would free the Israelites from Egypt 
and they would inherit Cana. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Remember, we're still in the covenant here now where um, the ceremony, where the animals are cut in, in pieces. So, there was a darkness and behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. So in order for you to fulfill this covenant. You had to pass through the pieces. Abraham. There was darkness upon Abraham. Abraham wasn't the one. Passing through the pieces. After the sun went down. The place became dark. And a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between these. The smoking furnace represents a pillar of smoke. That is how God led the Israelites through the wilderness in the day. The flaming torch, burning lamp, in the night represents God's presence to lead the Israelites through the desert. So God passed between the peace of animal and entered into a covenant with Abraham. God is a covenant-keeping God. He will keep his covenant even to someone that is dead. Because after Abraham passed, his covenant, he kept his covenant to all his generation. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Raphaims, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and Gergesites and the Jebusites. Amen. Pastor. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. Did he do good or what? He got all the names going. I was worried about it. Because, you know, I already read it and I said, he's going to have a challenge with the names. I almost call him today and tell him, you can skip some of the names if you want. <laughs> but, I, I, but I didn't, you know. And thank God, you know, he took his time and... He, he got, you know what? I will say this too. Because this happened with Joseph. When you are a child of God, something is going to always seem different about you than everybody else. So I'm sure that played a part as well. I'm sure that played a part. Anytime, you know, it's like um, it's not even worth it to be a Christian and then you having a hard time and then you're going to try to not be a Christian. <laughs> so you know you have been born again and you're living for God, but you're just going through a rough time and you're trying to just live the way you want. Somebody's going to know. And they're going to draw close to you and say, you don't belong here. Can't get around it. So I, I, I just learned just, just, you know, even in your ups and your downs, when you make a mistake, just know who you are. Making a mistake don't take away your title of child of God. So, so you don't have to leave from the presence of God and go among evil because you made a mistake. You're still a child of God. 
So don't let anyone make you feel terrible to the point where you walk away from God because you're still a child of God. You're just going through a hard time. So you don't have to give up your identity because you messed up. Right? Because the people that are not like you, they're going to know it. Even though you just messed up, you know, but everybody don't know you messed up. So you'll go among people and they're going to know there's something different. There's a different presence and aura that's coming from this person. They know it. And and you just might as well just own your title, be who you are. When you mess up, just say, God, I just messed up. I, I really need your forgiveness. Please forgive me and just keep it moving. Very important to know. Don't, don't give up your identity because you had a bad situation, a bad day, a bad moment. Don't, don't give up your um, identity. You're a child of God. A- any other questions or comments? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Part, part of my notes that I was going to share in case somebody asked it. Well, the Bible says, here's how it relate to us. The Bible says, every sin we commit or will be led to, it will be cause the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. So the bottom line is, he was drawn into it. He lusts after something there. So that's what usually gets us in trouble. We're lusting after something that our eyes are appealing to, you know, our flesh is desiring or pride is acting up in you. And so that's what always will cause the downfall. Everything that you do that will um, go against the word of God or displease God, it will start right there. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So he didn't sin right away. So when we get jammed up and we start doing wrong, we don't we didn't just start doing wrong, but we started desiring and the desire started pulling you. And then you get there and then, you know, the desire overpower you because you put yourself in the place where you have no power. So that's what started it for him. Right. Um, As you said, you know, he got rich because of uncle. Me, I'm figuring out a way, uncle, I'm, I'm pulling all my tribe together and saying, listen, uncle is my man. That's who made me rich. If you all don't get it together, you got to go. But I'm staying with uncle. Right? But apparently he started feeling good about himself after he got rich. And uncle is just so humble. Uncle said, well, whatever you want. You, you, you're like a son to me. Whatever you want. So... Be careful when you get, you know, what Sam, what Sam said to me one time. I'm taking a picture with you now, Pastor, so when you become T.D. Jakes, you won't forget me. <laughs> that was one of the funniest thing he told me. He said, I'll take a picture with you, Pastor, right now. I'm, I'm keeping this picture because you might become T.D. Jakes and forget about me. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I've had too many experiences that are humbling for me to ever have pride and thinking I'm something that I'm not. Too many humbling experience, so I'm here. Any, any other, that, and, and you know, to say that, I hope you can look at it like that. 
that God take you through so many humbling experiences. Um, look at it from this standpoint. It's the thing that's going to keep me grounded. Because what God is going to do in my life, the only way it will stop me from not having pride and thinking that I'm something that I'm not is through my humble experiences that where I've just been humbled. And you're like, oh, can I walk around here and act like I'm somebody when God had humbled me and I've been embarrassed and I've looked this way. So you're really taking stride that, you know what, it's the grace of God why I am what I am and where I am where I am because, man, I've gone through some stuff. So going through what you're going through sometimes just trust the process. Understand that God is the one that's allowing it because what he wants to do in you, you know, the lower you go, the higher he's going to take you. You start getting low, you said, okay, God is on to something. So don't you worry about, you know, the things that are going on in your life that takes you low. It just means God is ready to take you really high and he wants you to remember the low, low times that you had so you won't be puffed up and your ego won't control you when when he raises you up so all the humbling that he he's doing in your life just remember them yep they're not bad they will help you any other questions any comments you all have good comments so far good questions candace make sure you all greet candace tonight candace um